Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My special guest tonight is internationally recognized and well-respected slam poet from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. His name is Quantum Peaks. He describes himself as a vintage slam poet. His poetic verses are gritty, spiritually attuned, and raw. He published his first poetry collection, Liquid Sunshine, in audiobook format, in June 2022. The anthology is available on multiple platforms. Please let me welcome Quantum Peaks to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Michael. It's an honor, and I totally respect you, Michael. Thank you for having me from one well, capital city to another. Yes, exactly right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's begin this poetic journey. Quantum Peaks, what is poetry? Oh, Michael, you know, it's the perennial question. I need to preface my response with this. I find those who have hardly been exposed to poetry define it best by default in their own snarky way. As a result, they perpetuate the trivialization of poetry. They'll say, roses are red, violets are blue. It boils down to so little to so many that um, poetry comes off as cliche or simply a comical art form in essence. Generally, people would rather not give poetry a second thought, but when they do, they realize that there's no rose without the rain. There's no violet without the sun. For their senses to better appreciate and capture their genesis, their growth, and ultimately their splendor. The mind is then more attuned to the transcending dimension of reality. And I find that this is where the representation of poetry begins to take shape and not strictly a broken record definition of it. I personally feel that poetry appears as all that is, is not, because it doesn't really operate within the confines of absolutes. It cannot just be. It constantly and beautifully becomes a transformative way to spark imageries into motion through words traveling from the fertile mind of an original soul writer or speaker to the receptive spirit of a reader or a listener. Poetry boasts an uncanny, and I have to emphasize uncanny, ability to stretch the limit of anything we hold to be true and simple to either support it, confront it, beautify it, question it, even love it, uh, defeat it, um, and tame it in, in so many ways. I like to say that poetry feels like the most expansive way to travel. I said expansive, not expensive, by the way, because I feel that it has the innate potential to make your mind infinite places and the capacity to move you in more ways than one. With poetry, you don't need to go anywhere outwardly to get to know things. You can quite simply go inside of you 
So poetry acts as a vessel taking you to your consciousness, often primed to be given a voice and a platform to manifest it all. You know, countless people say they are visual, right? Well, a scripted poetic piece can heighten our sentence or heighten our senses, trigger insight and make us feel a person's soul by way of their creative and innovative expressions. You can literally see and feel the magic of words through poetry. Poetry can become all that and so much more. Wow, very nice. I'd like you to flesh out what you just shared with me. And I'd like you to flesh it out in the, in the following way. Tell me more about what poetry means to you from your heart. You know, that's a mighty good question once again. From the heart, mm-hmm. the seat of the soul is mm. where the, everything starts. Um, they say that without the heart, there is no spirit. And if you were to take, for instance, an apple as an example, an apple has seeds inside of it. The seeds represent the soul from which the spirit can grow. So what we see is the flesh on the exterior of the, the seed itself. What we see is the juice that flows. What we see is the crunchiness of the apple, the color, the texture. So when we look at the soul and we look at the spirit, you cannot dissociate them whatsoever. They're one of the same. Poetry works in that same fashion, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Everything comes from there and it builds its way up. There's so many ways of looking at it, but that's Mm -hmm. just one of them. Right. Why do you think, Quantum, that it's important that we do what we do as poets? Why is poetry important? I tell you, Michael, um, there are really words, there are no words to really describe how much I love that question. I touched on the importance of poetry in my first response by talking about the notion of expansion, but the Mm -hmm. topic is so multidimensional that it's worthy of a second spotlight on it. I feel like poetry gave marvelous its name. It shines Mm -hmm. as the marvel in marvelous. Poetry (laughs) elevates the marvel in all of us. Marvelous. You know, there was a time over a generation ago when we mostly experienced life in 3D, three dimension, right? Up, down, right, left, front, back. That's how our North American physical space is structured in linear form. Straight, straight city streets regularly intersecting at 90 degree angles, many box shaped buildings, etc. The way the Western mind thinks appears to follow the same pattern. We think in a pragmatic, logical way. Step by step is the, usually the way that we do it. We like the simple continuity of ideas. We reason and judge. And all of this has served us well and has yielded positive results in many respects. Ironically, some of the immersive ways to pivot away from that paradigm is to read books, watch movies, and enjoy walks in the nature, right? When we engage in those activities, it's it is common to feel a sense of soothing detachment from our reality because we allow ourselves to be absorbed by the spirit that created it. Hence the expression, we get into a book or we get into a movie or we get to nature. That's the effect of external elements on us. So for over 30 years now, the Internet of Things has made it even easier to get into anything swiftly and easily. Thus, 
It now means that nearly all we get into is out of us, literally. Mm-hmm. Poetry acts as a great equalizer in my mind. Um, it works in often overlooked fourth dimension, the inside out. So I talked about the up, up and down, the right and left, and the front and back. And now we're talking about the inside out now, which mm-hmm. is an entirely different universe on its own. It, 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 that's where it, it inhabits the soul and projects itself out by crystallizing perceptions to shape a sense of new functional reality, poetry and motion, if you wish. At this level, poetry makes humans intuitively synchronous. As it speaks to and resonates with our inner thoughts, our voice, and even our actions. Therefore, it operates in the eternal conscious part of all of of us. When it is properly aligned with the mission and it is valued, it truly becomes an unselfish and it fancies other people's minds to grow new poets. Poetry is hardly about the poet, but more so about sowing the seeds for new ones. I'm just sitting here processing what you just shared. It's going to take me a minute. Sure. <laughs> take a breather. Take a breather. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll take a, a quick break and uh, we'll be back. Um, <laughs> tell me more, Quantum Peaks, about this, uh, this fourth dimension. That was fascinating. Tell me more about it. Okay. Um, the in and out. Yes, in and out. If, if we look at our, the reality that we live in, mm-hmm. uh, we, we look at the world through our set of eyes, right? And we look at through our senses, our nose, our mouth, our the sense of taste, our ears, our touch, for instance. Um, but the thing is, when you write poetry, there's a part of you that writes with those senses. But most of the senses that you use come from the inside. So in other words, what we're dealing with here is the inner ear or the inner voice, uh, which serve a different function because you have to listen to yourself. You have to understand where you're coming from. You have to understand your ideas, your thoughts, and the process that actually takes you through uh, another dimension, another side of you that you didn't know even existed. So for me, it's all about that. That's where I, I, I write from. I write from a place where I'm constantly discovering new realms inside of me. I didn't even know existed. So by listening to that inner voice, um, you know, we say often that we have two ears and one mouth, yes. and we, we should be spending more time listening than talking. But mm-hmm. when you listen to that inner voice, you realize that your inner voice forces you to, to listen because mm-hmm. it's telling you something. It's something that you have no control over because it's not coming from necessarily from your so-called brain, where we think in, in the right. Western world that everything comes from the brain, right? But I feel mm-hmm. that everything comes from, the in, from the, at that inner voice that you should be listening to. For me, that, that's the key. All right. Because you're constantly in this state of discovery, is that exhausting? Um, it depends. Uh, it, <laughs> It, it can be somewhat exhausting for those who don't enjoy it. Okay. Uh, but for those who are very curious, observant, attentive to detail, it comes mm-hmm. naturally. Okay. And I think mm-hmm. that by nature, I think as, as far back as I can remember, even as a child, I've always been very curious. 
I've always uh, looked at things uh, in, a, in a different light. And I've noticed with time by looking at how other people's uh, other people operate or other people felt, there was something about me that made me feel that sometimes I was a bit out of place, okay. or sometimes I can actually connect with people at another level. All so right, I would actually they would ask me questions, and I would return the question in a way that would force them to realize that there's an other side of what you're saying that perhaps you should look into a little bit further. So mm-hmm. for me. It all takes, it's, it's a part of the whole. It's a part of um, one. We, we, when we connect with, with other people, there's this, we have to be able to establish that bridge between two, right? Okay. And once we build that bridge between two, we start recognizing. It's like a mirror image of ourselves to the other person because you made mm-hmm. them realize something about themselves they didn't know. And vice versa. Sometimes people are spoken to me and I, I realize something about myself I didn't know. So it works well, both ways. Is that bridge also called empathy? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you talked about the heart and the soul yes. we talked about a few minutes ago. And this world is in dire need of empathy and, and, and heart, the heart where the heart resides, where the heart uh, actually can actually uh, provide a sense of solace and comfort at times when people are suffering. Um, the, the heart is the place where everything grows. Uh, you know, you, you can just think back to what uh, the ancient uh, Africans used to do. For instance, when they, they, one of the symbols of the heart that they had was not necessarily the heart as we know it here, the red, uh, you know, throbbing symbol that we use. What, what they had was a farming hoe. So what it was, was a labor of love. You have to cultivate it. So when you cultivate the earth, you grow, you plant the seed, you, you, you see the plants growing, you water it, you, you attend to it, you love it, you care for it. And that's where you see a lot, of, uh, a lot of us go wrong because we allow some weeds to grow at times. We neglect ourselves. You don't mm-hmm. take the time to understand where we're coming from. And that represents the weed. That represents maybe even drought. Uh, because we haven't taken the time to grow. And that, that, that level of dynamic can actually be a little bit more complicated when you're dealing with someone that you love, uh, mm-hmm. that's actually that you've married or you, you picture yourself living with for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, there's, there's a special attention that we have to give to that dimension as well. All right. Quarter Beaks, please. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm going to start off with... Uh, first one, which is called Soliloquy of the Mighty Pen. And uh, this poem came to me one day when I was sitting at my desk. I usually don't sit very much at the desk when I, when I write. But um, this one came to me as I was just staring at my pen holder and thinking about what I was going to be writing, how I was going to be writing the next poem. So it's called Soliloquy to the Mighty Pen. Mighty Pen. You have taken much from me to make me. And as my gratitude sits in the observance of this acknowledgement, my amazement and empathy congregate at the steps of your hush. Before you, a written ode offering, as I know best to invoke those who are unspoken for. Through this art, the scripted ones are given a chosen voice to be heard as thoughts so intimate to bear under no cover strictly told to behold 
once onto you, satisfying reflections scribbled into poetic magic, simply oozing from your single pore, all the words I adore and that I must steal for all of you to lie in state on the papyrus that I prescribe. Senses the world should witness in its rightful place what you, de what you did with glee to the unawakened forms of me, stirred into motion until fully composed. Also on the walls erected for my wholeness to witness now more present, most vulnerable, best exposed in scripted remembrance as tokens coming of age, servicing a debt. To this life's truth, outpouring from me, outstretched to you. And in the midst of the awe of what you do, I feel compelled to speak of what is you. Once upon a read, you typified the latter as verb. So raw and uncut you, and uncut you were. Your stance was valiant amongst the masses of peers in the wetlands of Africa. But I surmise the cursive of your stem imposed the future of many strokes, although the first slash sufficed to reduce you. As a silhouette in nature, you were too shallow to stay grand, too bogged down in bodies of water splendor. So you became a symbol of ancestral life cut so short from the murky waters of your roots, none to be seen now. While we bow thankfully for the bliss to read then and now, as highly favored with the benefits of your sealed fate, I temper those words for I have observed the chill of your ink condition, descending as mercury with use, down to earth just as blue. My words turn cold just as somber at the sight of slowly losing you. You are the object of this subject. You are the point well taken. Given the hand it deserves for all that you have left, you make me right. As I contemplate the homage, others that look same as you, in vertical ease, in clustered natural harmony, the dignity of many salutes in my pen holder, I clearly see the reed in all of you and must never ponder if I should lay you down such as writing or stand you up empty in your honor. You are mighty. The end. All right. Epic. Thank you. Do you remember when you first learned about the power of poetic language? Uh, ironically, I do. Uh, I became aware of it both as an intrigued spectator as well as an inspired poet. The power, the grace, uh, the rhythm, the nuances, the textures, the synergy of imageries dazzled me. And in my opinion, were best expressed in slam poetry. It's basically poetry elevated to the status of an interactive and dynamic stage performance, making the written word vocal, vibrant, but also unapologetic and unfiltered, infusing a spectrum of raw feelings and uh, a thought-provoking narrative to the public. So one day I, I, took, I took the time to lend an ear to the poetic prowess of emerging and seasoned spoken word artists on YouTube, uh, episodes mm -hmm. like uh, on hit shows like Deaf Poetry and Verses and Flow. Uh, that brings back great memories, actually. 
The performances made me realize that speaking in poetic form appeared as a virtuous, upstanding, and an honorable way to tell real stories, somewhat reminiscent of the uh, jelly uh, or the troubadours in Europe. The jelly, uh, the D-J-E-L-I, often misnamed the griots, is a Mm -hmm. master of speech, a guardian of the word, a a wisdom keeper of of a community, a cultural storyteller, and much more in West Africa. The troubadours in Europe were classic folk, lyric poets, full of charm, and love would speak through them. I felt compelled and inspired to do the same at a very improbable moment. I had gone hiking in the valley hills around my hometown. After a while, I reached the lookout area, and down below, the landscape was a sight to behold. I, I had never seen something as beautiful as that. Stood there in amazement, an eagle perched overhead took flight. The initial whoosh sound it made caught, caught me off guard, but the phenomenal display of grace of such a majestic creature gliding and circling around the valley lit up the poetic flame in me. So when I got home, I took pen and paper, literally, and wrote a piece called The, the Miracle of Life. Do you have it with you? Uh, yeah, I do, actually, Michael. You're lucky. <laughs> I'd like to hear it. <laughs> You'd like to hear it? Okay. Yes, Okay, so this is uh, the miracle of life. A fabulous journey is set to begin. An idle eagle takes flight, ranging the sky unblinking. The wings of the gliding lord and grace. Befriending the wind, the eagle elevates but masters its pace. Spiraling, its destiny is doubtful to man. But the pattern traced in the altitude is part of the plan. The wildlife below is abundant and scattered, a magnificent source of magnetism. In response, the neck of the eagle becomes its periscope, its eyes, the prisms. Silence reigns, but peace is about to be breached. Once again, the Lord descends, and brute force will be unleashed. Vision focused and channeled, wings painting the air. The ride is an imaginary line, ending on a rodent that dares to stare. The song of birds announce a forthcoming demise, but they fail to open their eyes to realize that power doesn't always guarantee a prize on a land where many opportunities can arise. Wow. That's the end. When I was reading to prepare for our time together tonight, I read some articles about slam poetry and I found one statement that really stood out to me. Okay. He said that said academicians have a particularly have a particular problem with slam poetry being termed poetry. The reason to them is the mm-hmm. obvious lack of structure, formality, rhyme, and other technical problems with lineation that slam poetry apparently while the obvious observations one can make about slam poetry upon hearing it from the, for the first time is that it doesn't even rely on rhyme, which, is, which might be considered as blasphemy by any official standard of poetry. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, we, we can look at poetry in those terms if we wish to keep poetry in a static form, keep it stagnant, not evolve. 
But if you look at poetry as something that's everlasting, evolving, and you look at the people that are listening to poetry, not only the people that are actually conveying the message, but the people that are actually listening to poetry, um, I don't think they want, really want to listen to something that they've heard over and over again in the same form. Um, now, poetry is textured, as I mentioned before. Um, so by providing by, or by t- giving us poetry that is actually rehashed in a way that's already been heard, it becomes a little bit, becomes a little bit tasteless, right? Um, and I find that academician comes from a different world. Okay. They're, they're, they're very, um, they tend to be like, let's say, for, we could take a linguist, for instance. A linguist follows a certain set of rules, the grammar, and, and it's normal. Uh, I can't fight them for that. They do their work. There are rules to apply. But poetry gives you the flexibility to bend and even break certain rules so that you can actually connect with people who perhaps didn't understand the grammar. Um, mm-hmm. I, had, I had an issue with Shakespeare when I was young. Okay. Um, Shakespeare uh, at the time was probably one of the first, yeah, probably one of the first poems, the first poet that I've ever listened to or read when I was young mm-hmm. in high school. And one of the issues that I had with Shakespeare is that it, I didn't quite really grasp what he was saying. And for me, it did him a disservice uh, to me um, okay. that I could not connect with the words that he was saying. Um, I'm, I understand that he lived in a different time. Uh, circumstances were different. The words and expressions that the people used at the time were different. But I find that in a in day and age where there's such a, where you can actually find a dichotomy between that time and our time, that's when you have to find a way to reconnect or establish some type of a bridge, as I mentioned earlier, with, with the past. And I hadn't done that. I hadn't done my due diligence. I hadn't, mm-hmm. seen, I hadn't taken the time to understand where Shakespeare came from because I was given a book in, in, in class and then mm-hmm. we were told to read Shakespeare with no background information. Had I known a little bit more about Shakespeare, Shakespeare at the time, I may, I may have appreciated him a lot more than I did when I was in high school. Now, mm-hmm. I don't even bother cracking open the book if I don't know who the author is. I need to have the background information. That way, when I start reading about the book, I start reading the book, I understand who, who wrote it because I, I took the time to get to know the person beforehand. Now, I think in academia, if mm-hmm. they get out of guess, the, the mold, the, the, the industry that they're in, creates uh, a requirement for them to be a little bit more rigid. But to understand the, the, the looseness the, the, or the, the, the life flow and the, the ease through which uh, the poets express themselves, they will understand that this is them on a weekend. Hmm. This is them sitting by the beach, sitting on the beach, just having a pina colada or having a soft drink or what have you and relaxing. How does someone in academia speak when they're on the beach? Do they speak the same way that they, they, they speak when they're in class? Perhaps not, or perhaps mm-hmm. they do. And perhaps mm-hmm. that's the way they are completely through and through. But that's the way I look at things. Very nice. When you write Quantum Peaks, what are some of the predominant themes that you write about? Oh, uh, okay. Um, dominant themes in my poems. 
Um, they vary quite a bit, actually. And um, let me see. I'll, I'll have to cover every every piece here. Um, so in liquid sunshine, I, I did not write with the intent of building a thematic anthology, although people mm-hmm. might detect patterns favoring relationships, social issues, and life lessons. Fundamentally, my poems were meant to reflect a desire to express myself openly, total transparency, and make a little bit of uneasiness a beautiful thing. In that fashion, I find that my love for words would speak for itself. And at a higher creative level than in the distant past when I wrote short novels in grade school. I really want to cover a spectrum of relatable topics, but also also have some head-scratching ones, right? In a very mm-hmm. genuine and surprising and singular way. So coming up with a piece about a pen and a poet in Soliloquy of the Mighty Pen or unraveling pent-up emotions in Libra Love is a natural and seamless as can be. Um, if there's a subtle theme to point out in my poetry, I sense it is the progress, the progress of or the maturity of the spirit that conceives it. It allows me to see firsthand some form of scalable growth, whether it be through wordplay or structure, imagery, or elevated consciousness. They bring life to your words, and that's always a great partner to have in poetry, without a doubt. Mm. Liquid sunshine, your poetry anthology. So if you had to share with us, what was it an incident that inspired it, just life in general. I'm trying to get a sense of what brought you to the place where, hey, you wanted to put your poems together in an audiobook format at that. Tell us more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's quite unusual to start off with an audiobook format. Yes. Um, but um, I would say the genesis of it, Michael, is um, there was a time in my life where I was dealing with a lot of challenges. And I, I needed to find a way to um, get a grip on, on things that were somewhat weighing me down. So I took some time off. I uh, went down to Miami, Florida. I sat in a friend's backyard that was uh, to behold. Um, there was a beautiful body of water in her backyard. And there was also a coconut tree, a hanging basket chair. I sat in it, sat back. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Blue, blue skies, temperatures in the upper 90s. And here I was sitting there trying to understand um, the next chapter in my life. All right. And uh, I needed to find a way to ensure that anything that I felt would be expressed in a way that I would never go back to the time where I had those challenges. Mm-hmm. So... I wanted to write them down, as I did when I was younger. When I was 10, I I wrote my first short novels. And at that time, I decided that I would go back to the way that I was. In a way that was different, though, because poetry doesn't work in the same way. It doesn't really, you don't convey the same messages. It's not, you don't express yourself in the same fashion as in the short novel. But I was sitting there in the chair, and I was looking at the sky and the body of water. And that's how I got liquid sunshine, water, sunshine. Um, it, it's an interesting imagery. Some mm-hmm. people would probably not necessarily associate uh, liquid with sunshine. They would associate uh, the heat 
and water as something that's totally separate, but I mm-hmm. wanted to combine them to um, sort of bind two images, powerful images that became the impetus for change. And for me, once I made that change, I had to pay tribute to what created it. All right. Please share another poem. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to share with you uh, Libra Love. Libra Love is an interesting story, but I think uh, it's quite self-explanatory when you listen to it. Libra Love. Which way to love? When the scale of ours was the tipping point of the compass, due south from our magnetic high north. Under a burn of truth, it hurt to lose our way. While I still purely love my Libra love with every last ounce that made me so even with you. You heralded in the earliest of our times, headlines of hot pursuits when I rocked your world. With the precision of a lightning to a rod, a cupid arrow to your heart, where the swan's beaks meet and necks bend in the shape of my ticker to smooch yours. For every heartstring that was tugged, for every fiber of my body that was strummed, for every chord struck in a rapture of vibration, the void of vocals but spoken in French tongues, I still harp on being played so gracefully that evening when you allow your boy-crushed twitch to beatbox in your bosom until your quivering flesh puckered, producing the nectar shared in smacks, came bobbing my way. You handled my energy. You made my boom box down to a base untying pit knots, releasing butterfly bloodhound elixir, life's boom unearthed, turning plasma to gold, all soliloquy from within sang sold, to cascades already getting down to a basin of love can hold, but yet told. That was the fill and the froth of hungry streams building an endless rumble on the edge of the unquenched with open mouths meaning well raging well once heading to the flood plains of exquisite all of it feeling it fooling it and now a single trickle to a dam that hopeless has found and lost for us to hardly ever give a damn the end Please share another. Absolutely. Um, let me see if I can share a good one with you here. Um, okay, so I'm going to share with you Implosion, which is uh, a, a really good piece as well. I truly enjoy um, reading it. Implosion. What's cooking? Chili con carne? Or is my chest feeling kind of heavy? with the oxygen Gemini flowing through my vital airwaves. There comes a ridge of high pressure laying pretty on my chest. Feelings of a lid on top of thee, and now strictly the air worthy and fit to breathe. The damnation I cough, bullhorn on aching hands and knees. Audibles on cavernous grounds, echo, 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 begging in threes. Magic love, please, my affection is stacked. Measy return of third degrees. Is it true? Wiggly valve, bobbling nods, and squiggly steam. All truths are pressured, many hopes volatile, indeed. 
Other hopes, like puffs of clouds smoked off the ocean, squeezed and packaged in the real estate of elevation, in shapes of woolly masses, praying for a second wind, knocking their salt as snow, stinging late April, shade should have been. Love is pepper. It is the grind of the peppercorn turned to powder, shaken as the table rumba shaker, making your taste buds dance better, primed to seal the numbness of past fondness when love struck and neither soul stitched it in lines crossed on the heart in spades hovering the heart in magic never telling apart sanctuary of the heart lit you with charming counterparts stumped you with sequel parts need to find a way for peace to look my way where i lay if my treasured love gives way in chunks leave my throat with the lump tis the word Tis the food for thought in, in a chakra. Already speaking into existence, the place that I must stay for the next throb with love to say. The end. <laughs> nice. You know, your voice booms like James Earl Jones. <laughs> I've been told that several times. Um, <laughs> now I'm on the radio. Not... <laughs> I, I know there's a cousin of mine in Montreal that must be she must be sky high right now. She said, finally, you're on the radio, Quantum. How long have you been waiting for this? <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't think that was the first time you'd heard that. But what I'd like to know is, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Speaking voice? I'm going to ask you to repeat that question so it's, it yes. keeps into my spirit. Okay. What is the relationship between your speaking voice, the way that you share words, the way that you, the nuances in the way that you speak and the way that you write? Is there a relationship between the two of those or are they totally separate? You know, it's only, it only, the relationship that I've built over time only occurs when I kind of have to shed a part of myself in order to Mm. connect with what I am writing because normally when I live my everyday life, mm-hmm. I, I, I live like just anybody else. Okay. I, I don't attempt to become more than what I am. And I think society unfortunately has made us um, follow certain standards. Uh, we tend to follow conventions. Uh, there's a certain way of acting or, or of being at times not only with others, but even with yourself. So at times, mm-hmm. that's what leads to questioning yourself and not understanding where you're coming from. So it takes time. That relationship that I've built, um, I, I can tell you with assurance, is that it came at a time when I needed it the most mm-hmm. because I never thought about writing poetry until this recently, the past few years. Um, really? Wow. Yes, this is, this is <laughs> new to me, Michael. <laughs> you sound novice. like an old pro. I thought no. you were him right. <laughs> two years old, man. <laughs> no, oh, no. Goodness gracious. I'm a toddler. I'm just still running around in my diaper here. No. Uh, honestly, right. this, uh, I find that, um, no, it, it takes work. It takes work. But I see it more as an act of service. Because okay. you have to shed a part of yourself to become vulnerable. Yes, um, th- in society, I find that um, we put up a facade. We need mm-hmm. to, to show that we're stronger, 
yeah. well-meaning or, mm-hmm. or aside of us that not, we're not really. So I find that becoming a little bit more vulnerable and allowing yourself to be a little bit more transparent and open creates an environment through which you can actually grow and expand. And this expansion creates a, a, a view, a world view that you've never witnessed before. Um, I remember looking at, uh, I remember watching the news and thinking that, oh, the world is so bad. Oh, things are so bad. Um, how are we going to get out of these situations? And I would question myself. And I would look at the world through a lens that was created for me. But when you take the time to look inwards and look at the news as information and gain, you start gaining an understanding of what you're watching, and then you break it down to an analyze it and you create some kind of synthesis, which creates a wisdom, a form of wisdom. So it's a step-by-step process. So everything that you do has to be done with intent. Uh, it, it has to be done consciously. And you cannot ex- expect to change if you don't want to change. You have to want it. And that desire builds that relationship with both sides of you as you, as you move on with, in life. Now, are you saying that you found your voice through slam poetry? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Oh I, I found my voice. Um, there, was, there was a time when... Um, you know, I'll put it this way. I grew up as a single child. So when you're okay. a single child, you, you spend a lot of time thinking. You mm-hmm. don't have as many distractions. You're busy. <laughs> you're busy mm-hmm. talking. And you don't waste time and you don't mince words with yourself because you don't have to be apologetic to anyone. You're talking right. to yourself. And I used mm-hmm. to talk out loud. Um, I used to spend time in my room, talk out loud. I'd be listening mm-hmm. to music. I'd be singing along. So mm-hmm. everything that I did was to um, sort of release the energy that I was pent up in me. And mm-hmm. as I was moving along through that process, uh, I realized that I, I want to express it in a different way. So that's when I started writing novels. It, it's, it was fictional, of course, but it, it, made, it grounded me. It uh, brought me down to earth in a different way. And now poetry for me is an elevation. It's, it's something a little bit higher, something a little bit more intricate for me because, as I said, I had to uh, let go of a part of me that uh, I've always lived with. And now mm-hmm. that I'm growing and, and, and maturing at my ripe age and uh, I'm understanding other parts of me that I didn't know. And right. uh, it takes time and um, it takes a will, a strong will to, to change, but everything is done incrementally. Yes, I do understand. And I'm going to share too that I think poetry helped me find, I know it did. It helped me find my voice. Right. It just did. You the word dweeb. I was a dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say it. Yeah, okay, just a, a little bit. No shame in your game. I was a dweeb with a capital dweeb. So, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't start writing poetry or sharing it until I was, what, 32, 30, 34, somewhere in there. And I couldn't okay. stop. Yeah, There's okay. a side of me that came out that they couldn't be stifled or 
shut down that when I was in the, in the poetic zone, so to speak, mm-hmm. I was in my truest essence. Nobody could hurt me. Right. Now, once the poem was over and <laughs> back to normal, that's where vulnerability set in again, of course. True. True. But poetry amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. We're going to take a very brief break, but I'd like you to share with me when we return from this break. I'm going to ask you a question now. Has there been a poem that you've written that has ever humbled or frightened you? Sure. Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back, everyone. All right, we are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Quantum Peaks. Quantum. Yes, sir. Has a poem you've written ever frightened or humbled you? Yes, there is one. Um, It's called Insomnia. Uh, I could definitely, uh, I'll read it out to you in a moment. Yes. Uh, The reason why it humbled me is um, when... You know, insomnia can be seen in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, insomnia came at a time when I was working a lot at crazy hours of the day and night. And it threw me on the loop. And uh, I completely lost sight of who I was because I was so tired all the time. I couldn't think. I couldn't process anything, anything. And... Um, Insomnia ensued. I could not sleep. Um, and I could not sleep for years. And I dealt with it in a way that uh, made me realize that I was resilient because um, I was always tired. But I never said it to anyone. Okay. I didn't express how tired I was. But um, when I started writing insomnia, I realized that I gained a perspective on insomnia Uh, that allowed me to navigate the world of never sleeping. Mm -hmm. And when you don't sleep, you lose a side of yourself. Mm -hmm. You lose your ability to understand things. As I was saying before, you're in a constant, and you see yourself as vulnerable again. And um, your health takes a hit. And there's a lot of things that uh, you, you took for granted in the past you no longer do because insomnia made you see things. Um, so insomnia. What good are both temples of the dome if tranquility does not reside? What owl of the mind licks its chops at the side of sleep I can't find? Need coconut tree sways 
but a third eye left to persuade, to pull the skin on my windows, blinds for all bright of days. My queen, I turn myself into you, guilty as charged. I summer birth blessings and jured abuse to quench life's thirst, burning my battery to fumes, leaking myself to doom, medical irony in me to steep. I've gone way too deep to sleep. On a king's spread rests salvation, solace in lavish red sheets, rose field to lay my cheeks, for bedtime's funk, dawn blues for keeps, until my azure is sown on petal rubies, lovely zone, now beauty's home in lavender tone, karma. Soon in the aromas, no motion drama, in the panorama of nirvana. My second nature's calling, horizons in full bloom, stems from the sun gifted with royal ascent. Highs heaved in sighs of baby's breath to the sky of this bouquet, for I have ebbed and flowed on my lady bedrock, tossed and turned so massively to a fault, where I last left sweet slumbers, to split, to rift, quick to drift, off into my middle ages, rusty eyelids forming guillotines, severing sleep to smithereens, done so lean to loss of morning sheen. What about morning wings, bartered clean for catchy scenes? These drips of fabulous I long as new dreams. I yearn for what burns a single turn to the spot of no returns. A one-way stay with a layover on Riverside Beach, a resort designed for my last one. I am the wary pebble hailing from afar, the boondocks wanting to dock just to sleep as a rock. The end. Wow. Wow. Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? I think poetry needs to be cathartic. Okay. Without the cathartic process, it is very hard for you to not get in touch with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't hurt, but it is a design meant for you to heal. Okay. You don't need to hurt. Okay. You just need to execute things in your life mm -hmm. so that when hurt comes to you and you have no control over hurt, Pain is what it is. But I feel that you have to come to a realization at times that you need to be able to release. A release mechanism is required for us to heal. You know, if you look at our world currently, poetry is seen as therapeutic. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, there are places in Canada and the U.S. where you can actually go see an educator, a counselor, yes. Uh, yes. a psychologist, uh, a holistic healer, or a performance poet to help mm -hmm. you heal. It's a mm -hmm. process now. In mm -hmm. my hometown, we have places like that as well. So we can actually get the help we need. But I've chosen the path that is different from most, perhaps. I did it through poetry. And I don't use it as a form of judgment on myself or on anyone okay. else. Poetry is not meant to be judged. 
poetry is meant to be resonated with. Now, when I listen to a poem and I've, I take the time as an armchair coach to speak to other soon-to-be or would-be or emerging poets, um, and what I hear from them is a need to release that energy that has been weighing on them for so long. And they tell me in no uncertain terms that they've been keeping that energy, that negative, outrageous energy inside of them for so long. And they didn't know how to release it until they they wrote the poetry. So it's one thing to write on paper, but it's Mm -hmm. one other thing to share it with others. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So for me, when I started to write, I didn't want to share it with others. It was personal. I didn't want to share it. The time came when I started to share it with people that were close to me, my inner circle, flats, friends, and relatives, mm-hmm. my inner circle. So they provided feedback to me. And they said, listen, you're deep. Like, why are you <laughs> keeping this for yourself? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was thinking, well, really? Like, you honestly feel that there's something to it? It's like, yeah, you should <laughs> share this. It made me question why I was keeping it to myself in the first right. place because mm-hmm. I realized that I was being selfish. And that one word deep became the, the moniker of my name, quantum, which means really big or, or deep in urban circles, right? Yes. And the peaks is where I want to go, reach mm-hmm. new, new heights all the time, always mm-hmm. improve and grow. So it came at the expense of a part of me that grew old and that had to go. And I, I deliver the same message to people that I know. I say, mm-hmm. if you feel that this is for you, that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. But if mm-hmm. you feel that someone can actually grow as a person and understand where they're coming from as a person, then you've done them a service. And that's what you need to do if you feel that's the right thing for you to do. Mm. Who are the writers, thinkers, readers, human beings who are you and your writing? I'll have to, uh, to stick to a very small niche, which is slam poetry. Okay. Um, as I mentioned before, I spent quite a bit of time watching YouTube videos years mm-hmm. ago, at least mm-hmm. I'd say a good 10 years ago, uh, when I was watching a lot of uh, R- Russell Simmons' yes. uh, death poetry and verses in flow. Those became the tipping, that became the tipping point for me because I realized how honorable and upstanding these people were. And the more I was listening to them, I understood that there was a way to become a little bit more virtuous as a person when you mm. speak in that fashion because you're creating language. You're not, you're not following the, the common uh, set in stone way of being or the way of speaking. You're creating your own reality. You're becoming yourself. And you can become yourself at any stage of life. You can be 20, you can be 30, you can be 50 or 60 and still grow in poetry. I'm still growing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm mm-hmm. new. I understand. I told you I'm still I'm still growing. I'm still a toddler in this. But I feel that there's growth in this. And the growth will take me to a place I've never seen before. And that mm-hmm. blows my mind. That really motivates me to write even more. Because as we understand ourselves better, we have a better way to help other people understand themselves through our experiences. So for me, that's, uh, that's the, the beauty of it. Now, when you write a poem, who leads you or the poem? It, it's actually both. Talk to There's, uh, I usually start out with a title. Okay. I always start with a title. That's the first mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind. And, you know, as in everything in life, a title gives you honor. Uh, Mr. or Mrs. or, uh, you know, Master or Miss. It's something that you value. And it's something that's just at the prefix to your name. You add it and you, can, you become something else. You're a Mr. So when I created that title, that title triggers a thought. It triggers a thought that leads me on a, on a, on a certain path that I need to follow. It triggers an image, triggers a thought. And that thought slowly starts to manifest in ways that I can actually start viewing the things in my mind. Uh, I can understand exactly where I want to go with what I'm saying. Now, there's this back and forth movement that takes place in the mind, because I find that the mind is the place where you, you open up to, 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 to the reality that you're trying to convey. There's also the 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 spirit the spirit is what brings in the energy that you need to deliver your message now the the more i understand this process the more i understand that there's things i need to do to ensure that what i am doing for the greater good is designed to bring about change in myself and other people and the more i delve into that experience or that world, mm-hmm. I understand that there's ways to build in, in a greater essence and understand your essence as a whole. Your essence is what makes you who you are. And when people look at you, they understand you at a very basic level. So they understand mm-hmm. your personality, they understand your behaviors, your character. And that needs to shine through in your poems. Right. There's Please. a way for you to speak that is designed to trigger a vibrational frequency, mm-hmm. which creates, in essence, also a concentration. So when you're focusing on something in your mind constantly, it becomes addictive, um, and it becomes something that actually becomes a little bit more, and it starts to speak to you. All right. That vibration is a form of a concentration that becomes invaluable in poetry. That mm-hmm. concentration, that focus, keeps you in a place where you need to gravitate towards a, a message that is designed to push the envelope or mm-hmm. ma- make you see things that your, your, your physical mind cannot see. So you create 
a, a surrounding through which you can actually become something of, of greater of greater essence and, and, and better understanding of yourself. Right. Please share another piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we live in a world where there are young folks that we need to also drive a message to. And the, the clearer the message, the better I think the, uh, the outcome will be for all, all young folks. This one's called Driving 101. When the sense of freedom of a youngster mostly equates to and is so jacked up by the propulsion of an engine, a tire probably deserves a boot, ensuring so-called freedom is better served in stillness until it's truly poised to be unlocked and properly set forth in the form of a keen mind, realizing ignition of awareness is key and must be automatic, or responsibility downshifted on highways of emotions may have you struggling with regrets in hobojards, the likes of which your V6 will have no answer to avoid. Your cocktail of vigor will mark the spot where you finally came to a stop in a haze, a mirage in your mirror, a canine for your V6, sniffing for clues of the disaster you cannot click to undo. That said, approach your whip with caution. It revs the scramble. Crack the shell with the key. Your excitement shouldn't go over easy. All of us want to stay sunny side up in the end. Caution shouldn't melt to butter you up, young peanut. So simply have a toast to that. Wow. You know, my next question is one that I've asked in every episode probably over 390 times now. <laughs> and you've asked it, and we've kind of talked about it, but I just want to just throw it out there. You know, we're talking now about working with the young people. We're looking at the world. And as we both know, there's the good, bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent in this world that we live in. Based on what, what you know about the world, what is the role of a poet in modern-day society? The role of a poet in modern-day society. Um, I'll need to illustrate the role of the poet by mm -hmm. taking a trip down memory lane to my freshman year in university. All right. My philosophy professor introduced the class to a short but very compelling exercise. He, uh, he asked about 50 students a seemingly simple question. What is a tree? Each of us had to chime in with a response. Initially, the depiction of the tree took the form of a natural, majestic, easily recognizable plant as we know it. But as the sequence of answers progressed, the thoughts became clever, thought-provoking, original, and sometimes cryptic. And the typical tree morphed into an imaginary sensation. When the exercise was completed, the professor gave us his impressions by saying, you're all correct. And at the time I was baffled. I was like, by the absence of that logic and was left with question marks. I nearly lost my ability to discern on that day, Michael. There, mm -hmm. there I was 18 years old, groomed by years of schooling and then seeking guidance to navigate 
the definition of a tree with whatever was left of my assurance. And then my professor proceeded with a poetic philosophical gem. I know it sounds a bit like an antithesis. He said, the tree is whichever way your mind perceives it to be, not only what your eyes can see. The dinner was served as food to my soul when I heard that. In today's Western Mm -hmm. society, we have developed a paradigm of thought that is fundamental, as in laying a foundation for minds. On it, we construct our intellect, critical thinking, our rationale, our reasoning, our problem-solving skills, etc. Thus, we can sustain a relative understanding of each other. The poet, on the other hand, operates from a dimension, a magnitude greater than the mind. It is the soul. The mission is simple. Allow the inner voice to project itself outwardly to connect with other voices in its likeness. That's for me, that's the key. And mm-hmm. as we live in a world where so-called minds are often changing, changing or lost or indecisive or out of it, it is a sweet solace to turn to the everything that remains omnipresent, everlasting, and functionally binding with others. Yeah, that's what I would have to say. Wow. What do you think your poetry conveys about being What it conveys about being human. Well, what is human? Okay. Uh, with this. What I what I is hear, what is what is it, yeah, what what is a human? Right? I, I have an acquiring mind. Tell me what is. It? <laughs> it's a good starting point. E. F. Hutton is listening. <laughs> we all exactly. want to. <laughs> I'm gonna oversimplify human. Okay. Just, just for uh, for goodness' sake. But um, <laughs> human um. Man or man of use, if you invert the order of the suffix and the prefix, man of use, of color, shades, beautifully innate. Actually, I have a poem about that. And what makes us human is the ability for us to become what we've never been. So... As we go through life and as we navigate through every element that makes us us, Mm -hmm. we have to understand that there's a desire for us to become a form of ourselves that is highly, highly regarded. That's the way I look at things. Okay. A human is an element of, of life that is the last one to have been created when you look at the, 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 the sequence of, of living species on this earth. We are the last one. We are the last draft. We were the last ones to come. So we, are, we should also be the most refined because we've seen what was there beforehand. Mm-hmm. Now, from that, from that perspective, um, we have no excuse not to be better than what we've mm-hmm. seen. We can okay. actually collect a lot of data or a lot of information and understand how nature works. Uh, You can look at the rock. You can look at a plant. You can look at anything that's living that has has a spirit inside of them. And if you take the time to understand what it is, you come to understand who you are. Um, 
the more you delve into that side of yourself um, and, and that perspective becomes a little bit clearer, you have lessons to draw from them. I think that's what we do on this, uh, on this, ex- on this experience called life. We have to draw lessons. In, in everything that I do, I draw lessons. Um, I don't take anything for granted. Um, I feel that lessons are meant to be something that becomes some, uh, a way for us to elevate and um, allow us to reach a, a higher level, a higher standard to ourselves. And none of, thing, none of this matters if you don't take the time to become a little bit more conscious about who you want to be. How would you classify your ability to write poetry, slam poetry, is it a creative gift or a creative art or a combination? Creative gift or a creative art? Well, I'll put it this way, Michael. I produce my best work in the morning. Okay. I've been saying this for a long time because it never gets old and it still fascinates mm-hmm. me. There's mm-hmm. a method to the madness. It doesn't matter what kind of poem I'm writing. Um, hours of sleep give rise to great inspiration within minutes to a few uh, to a few hours of getting after a few hours of getting sleep there was a time when i would keep a pen and paper in my back pocket to keep up with every spark every flash of booming thoughts that would ignite my spirit and make mm-hmm. its way to paper that is what made me a morning person conscious of my natural frequency and for me realizing that was a gift the best gift that i can have which translates over time into an art form. Mm-hmm. If only other morning, if other, if other morning people tapped into that reality, there could be, I think a lot, a lot more people that would, or fewer people, I should say, committing to the nine to five job. They would opt for a seven to three routine instead of something that's, you know, out of sync with themselves, their body naturals function, right? Mm-hmm. So the nine to five job is something that you should not do in my, in my view, if you're a morning person, the same applies to the night owl. Do you do your finest work in short spurts or flurry when others call it a day, you're only getting started and perhaps revving up your engine for the next 24 hours. So during that 24 hour time frame, as a poet, I remain curious and observant. Um, and I'll give you another fine example of that is uh, in terms of creation. One day while I was strolling by Madison Square Garden in New York a few years ago, I came across a rat scurrying right past me. And uh, Mm -hmm. my cousin and I were walking in that area. Well, the rodent became part of a storyline of one of my poems. So Mm -hmm. when you stay, stay attentive to your environment, you become that environment. It's, it's not something that's outside of us. We embody the environment that we're in. And everything that gravitates around us is just sources of information that makes us realize that we're a part of that, info, of that environment, that greater environment that we're in. Do you live life like it's a slam poem? No. Um, slam poems or slam poetry is, mm-hmm. is a contest. 
right? And, okay. and if you look back at the, it, there's an urban legend that says that uh, Slam Poetry started in, in an apartment in Chicago. Where okay. People didn't, were hush-hush about, you know, reciting poetry and they don't want to bother their neighbors. So everybody was snapping fingers in, in appreciation for the poem that they were hearing. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's where the snaps came from. Okay. Um, okay. But do I live my life through the eyes of slam poetry? No. Um, it, it, it serves me well. It has okay. a purpose. Um, it, 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 it embodies a form of growth that I always want to be in. Uh, but mm-hmm. I have to understand that there are two worlds that are running parallel to one another. The real world that we know outside of our window, and then the, win- the, the other world where you can actually be yourself and understand yourself a little bit more. And, 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 and create that world. And that's the reason why I created my name, um, Quantum Peaks, because I felt that my legal name didn't have its place in poetry. Um, I had to shed a part of myself to become. Um, and by doing so, I'm forcing myself to view myself in higher regards. And I, I make the process somewhat a little bit more difficult for myself because I understand that there are times where I feel a little bit cranky. I don't feel like writing. And mm-hmm. at times when I don't feel like writing, that's my, the best time to write. Right. <laughs> right. I feel so emotional. The emotions mm-hmm. create an energy as well. So sometimes when I'm tired, I write, I'll write a few pieces, a few lines. And mm-hmm. as I said before, it's cathartic. So that energy that I'm releasing uh, provides a sense of ease and calmness and peace inside of me that says, okay, you know what? It's good. Because I, I normally don't sit down to write. I'm mm-hmm. always doing something. It's, uh, it's, it's cathartic in that sense, but it's also kinesthetic because I'm always on the move when I'm writing. I'm actually, when I'm writing, I'm actually even going for a walk or I'm doing dishes or I'm, <laughs> I could be sitting somewhere <laughs> at, with friends and I'm, oh, there's a thought that comes to mind and I'm, I'm writing it down on a piece of paper. That's the way I used to do it way back in the day. But now, Mm-hmm. I've evolved, you know, I'm putting it down uh, <laughs> on my laptop, but uh, all this to say that, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way it works. So, no, there's, there's a separation. There's like a, there's a split that you have to, to make between the art and the creation. You know, we've almost reached the end of our poetic journey, but I'd like you, if you don't mind, would you please share two more poems, please? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the next one I'm going to be reading is uh, somewhat long-winded, but bear with me. Uh, it has a really interesting ending. So this one is called Humanoid Version 2.0. The crown jewel of the apex, quite simply. Anointed with the promise to serve humanity. Cozy confines for the oil of dreams to seep. The marvel of the brain where thoughts run deep, deep, deeper than all motions found in all oceans, deeper than all waters, mother of creations, dreams. The secrets of these sights sealed in a scroll. Its author in the mist failed to get the gist on a roll. Messages told, grand vision is bold, emblazoned. Vision and dreams, the tandem is ripe, trailblazing. From the jungle vine to the pendulum of time, tis the fire of consciousness 
elevating man above fellow primate, raging fire burning within, illuminates man to human, man of hues, colors, shades, beautifully innate. Array of ancient sun god personified, phoenix bird unfurled in light, the tail end of trifecta, connect the dots, dreams, vision, and light must coalesce in human highness. As it is so simple to mesmerize ape likeness while the firestone is still hot. Millions of years in the making is the dreamscape spotlight sparked in stone hand. Inner manifestation gives way to outwardly blue, shed by the new torch of man, the one on a selfie stick. Can human beings still be? The query prompts no dial tone. When the wick on the stick is lit, the eye tunes to the eye world. The contention is a bone. The world opens to another, making it rain. One shall definitely rain. The phone is the new bountiful fruit in the Garden of Eton. Gigabytes or guilty pleasures releasing the forbidden juice, the branch stick, by man, woman, and children. Oh, how the sweet flavors of the mother load beckon the neck to bend. Humans masquerading in the shape of bananas, no longer a figment of the imagination. Flashbacks of yesteryears, primal instincts recalled, formation of a human hybrid with a chimp on its shoulder. Grudge be told, who, 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 ha, 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 has always grunted in bursts of unanswered questions, then spurts of laughter. The poetic book of Revelation on cryptic behavior states on page just, verse, listen, sayeth unto them, they, the primates, the observers from the treetops, better yet, the troops of Zeus, the conquerors, have condemned we, the former homo erectus, the former upright man, the defeated titans of Atlas, to bearing the limitless expanse of the virtual heavens onto our shoulders. Indeed, Atlas, at last you will succumb, or will you, to man, the auxiliary horde lugging an auxiliary cord introduced in a jack in the back of man. Press play. We are dilly beloved spirits, paragons of abundant virtues. We are allegedly lavished with limitless sources of character. We are seemingly naturally infused with infinite emotions. We are supposedly enriched by being connected, linked by bridges from the mind to the soul and back. Word to the wise, i.e. all of us. Challenge these blessings to service to the degree to which handhelds have proliferated onto us. Ultimately, we each embody physical and non-physical a bound struck between spiritual and matter. We are designed and specially formulated as such. What's up, my soul? What's the matter? I am. And you? Spacious. What for? To invite more greatness and so much more. All right. Anyway, it was nice being you again. Is born and rewards are set free to multiply. We all came from the same home, the place where it all began. The universe of endless things coming and going. The ripples of formation, shining, beaming, growing. The wonders of life, blossoming, exalting, amazing. We are them, they are us. A wash of the blistering surges of thoughts and dreams thrusted into the future. Booming and fiery winds of enlightenment swirling fiercely around the burden of pregnant cosmic energy times infinite. Powerful rhythmic crescendos turning rumbles into a global power grid fueling us all. Miniature he and she are not innocent. 
They are innovative, inoculated with endearment. Just ask a woman. She is a man too, woman, womb man, and carried you. Love and appreciate her. She fears not the mosquito bite inflicted on her baby. She teases the bee that stung her child. She chuckles at the hive that fell on her teenager's lap. That smaller life forms must quench their thirst at greatness to aspire. Aren't you proud? And she is so thankful. And expecting another question that is, Wi-Fi or data for your phone? You mean, why not fly like the firefly? This spirit has already given me so much. As she stares down, neck bent at her belly, containing the fire and desire. Staring down isn't all that bad after all. Press pause. Beautiful. The end. Poem I'll be reading. I have a lighter side to me, you know. Um, I don't want to seem too serious, Michael. Okay. <laughs> so this one is a comical piece. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge. <laughs> so this, this I'll let you know when. <laughs> yeah. When you're done. This next piece, Michael, I, I was telling you about my experience yes. in New York City, right? Yes. And right. I saw a rap. Right. <laughs> I saw a rat scurrying by. So I wrote right. a piece about the rat. It, okay. it became a storyline for my poem. All right. And this is called Ratsville's Finest. <laughs> Ratsville, 1975. Back in the day, a rat is just a rat until you give it a name. Fresh on the scene, fancy rat Jack. In the present, nothing seemed the same. Fancy Jack, the coolest, finest, sharpest dresser, the one with the cane and hat. In these parts, swag rat is what we call a rat like that. The issue was all the rats smelled the rat, and Fancy Jack didn't give a rat's ass. In Ratsville, the rat race is performed with a different kind of class. Don't clash, don't bash, was the number one rule. Fancy Jack broke both of them. Summit Rat took charge and gathered the rat top brass. On behalf of them all, the time had come to rat out Fancy Jack. But rats, he caught wind of the scheme. The cover was blown, and Fancy hat, Fancy's hat was known to have tricks in it for the unforeseen. His cane possessed amazing powers, and those who stared at it feared it. On this day, his swagger was given a swig of his own medicine. Mouths can take a shape of a boomerang, spinning back to hit you on the chin. For the first time, the rat's uproar was ferocious. So, fancy rat used the voice of reason. After all, he was no better than most, and all of them were fed up with his treason. So, fancy Jack got his mind out of the gutter while all the rats were down in the dumps. He laid out a filthy agenda by talking trash. The rats were euphoric and hailed the punk for his spunk. The end. <laughs> okay, okay, you win. That was comical. It was comical, right? All right, give it me some credit comical. here. Give me yeah. some snaps. That was good. I like that. You, like that. you know, right, what the peaks, you know, yes, writers sir. and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to the audience. Others write primarily because staying silent. It's not an option. Why 
do you write? When we break it down to the to the to the basics, why do you write, my friend? Why do I write? Well, it has something to do with a bit of destiny, right? Okay. Um, I told you earlier that uh, I used to write short novels in grade school, yes. mm-hmm. and I evolved into the poem, the poet that I am today. Mm-hmm. I think that fate wouldn't have it any other way. I'm a lexophile. A lexophile mm-hmm. is a person who loves words. In my early teens, I wrote short novels. In my 20s, while living abroad, friends and family back home in Canada, I read, I read the dictionary front and back, just like Malcolm X did. In my 30s, I started writing love poems to my girlfriend. In my 40s, I developed a keen interest for the etymology of words, more so than the definition. And etymology examines the genesis and the evolution of the words through time. I also wrote poems as a hobby. I attended my first poetry slam events. I also staged live performances. And my readership kindled my interest to publish my poetry anthology. Now here I am on your popular show. Now, I recall the day back in 2017 when I felt a shift in my spirit after coming to terms with a the important challenge in my life. This period, this period prompted me to commit to a new form of writing where my thoughts could spark deeper ones. Um, my thoughts could therefore become a powerful tool of introspection to elicit an outlook on life in bigger and better ways. I cherish the incremental growth and providing real, real value to myself and by extension, connecting with the same essence represented in other people. As a poet, I represent an infinitely small part of poetry, but when my work resonates with people to the point where I find a home in your perception, then I feel I was destined to be a poet. Mm. Wow. There's so many more questions to ask, so many more, so many more. I know. But what I would like to know in terms of liquid sunshine, where exactly can we purchase this poetry anthology audiobook. It's on various online uh, platforms right now. It's currently mm-hmm. sold on Barnes and Nobles. Uh, you can find it on uh, audiobooks.com. It's uh, also on uh, the Walmart website, um, Rakuten, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Rakuten Kobo, I believe it's the exact word. Uh, so Kobo.com, K-O-B-O.com, and uh, make sure that you select the right liquid sunshine because there's actually two liquid sunshines online right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure you select the one with uh, the man sitting on the basket chair looking out out in the distance. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Quantum Peaks, K-W-A-N-T-U-M-P-E-A-K-Z. And uh, also, you can also email me uh, at liquidsunshine at inthecity.com. So that's I-N-T-H-A-C-I-T-Y.com, liquidsunshine at Mm -hmm. inthecity.com. Yeah, so there's various platforms out there. Um, All right. Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Creatively, um, I'm actually I actually started writing the preface of my next book. 
not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't like setting timelines for myself. Um, okay. They, seem, they, some, they sometimes seem too rigid for me. And uh, I tend to um, <laughs> gravitate towards something that actually enables me to have some level of flexibility. So um, right now I've just started my, my new poem, my new poetry, uh, new poems that I've, I'm about to, I will be releasing at one time. And I'll definitely be posting some updates on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So whenever it's released, um, people will know about it. Currently, um, my Liquid Sunshine uh, book is uh, only available in audiobook, uh, audiobook format, but you can expect it to be released also in paperback. Wow. I'd like to invite you to come back for a part Sounds two. good, Michael. No, I'm Sounds serious. Good. I'm serious. I mean, uh, maybe before the year is out, Christmas time, winter rather. Winter, okay. Yes, I'd like you to come back and share more of your work. There are a number of more questions I want to ask. We'll, we'll, we'll do it right. We'll make it a very special program because I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing you talk about your craft. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, as I said before, uh, the craft is something that you, I take very seriously. I can tell you. Um, it's uh there's so much to, to do with poetry. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, as I said before in the, at the outset, that sometimes poetry, people perceive it as something that's too light, uh, mm-hmm. something that's easily um, discredited. But uh, if you take the time, take the time to, to write slowly but surely, um, understand that it's, it's a process. It, it takes time. I, I wrote my first poems uh, back in the early 2000s, and I, then I took a, a, a long, I, there was a long stretch where I didn't write anything and I got mm-hmm. back into it in 2017. So mm-hmm. it takes time. It takes patience. Uh, but there's so much, so much, so much to learn. Oh, and wow. uh, that's what I love the most about poetry. You are an amazing man. Brilliant just seems to ooze out of every poor man. Cause you, I like the way you think. Thank you. Wish you nothing, nothing but the best. Thank you, you so much. you your life and poetic journey. All right? I appreciate the platform, uh, Michael. I think this is, uh, this is golden to me. Uh, you served All it right. on a gold platter. And uh, All right. I did my best to deliver the yeah, message. Thanks. And hopefully people uh, will be inclined to hear a lot more in the future, as you said, hopefully in December. All right, then. All right. To the listening audience. As I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Good night, Quantum Leap. Quantum Peak. (laughs) Quantum Peak. Or KP, if you prefer. (laughs) Quantum (laughs) Peaks Leaps (laughs) to new terrain. That's right. You got it now. I had to to fix it. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Take care. We'll meet again. All right. Bye. All right. Bye now. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.